I'm going to start reading with um, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. This is the word of the Lord. A very present time, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Who has wrought desolations in the earth? He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Pause and think about that. So yeah, I'm not Pastor Josh. Um, as maybe you know, I'm as close as you can get to genetically and until we figure out how to clone him anyway. So Pastor Josh started this off last week in a new series. Uh, we're looking at the miracles uh, that Jesus performs in Mark. And he didn't really cover a miracle. We'll be doing that today. We'll be covering a, a very unique and still amazing, still unmatched miracle, even 2,000 years later. Uh, but is Pastor Josh not here? He, uh, he, it's worth noting that this little church is having an impact that sometimes we forget. We're having an impact in the community, which is very good. That's what all churches should have. Uh, we're having an impact in California. Josh is uh, not here today because he's on his way to lead a, a high school camp to be the director, and so we have that impact. We have, out of, our, out of our congregation here, we have a couple who are long-term missionaries in Nazareth, Jessica and Sean Cole. We've sent teams there to support them. Uh, Pastor Josh has, been, has done work recently in Cuba with another mission team, missioned in Uganda. Um, he'll, be, he'll be going, <laughs> I think anyway, I hope I'm not, I'm not stealing his own thunder. He'll be going to Peru. If you know anything about geography, he's going to Peru from the Amazon side. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. That, that's like from the Amazon side. That's how deep in Peru is going. So this little church is having a huge impact um, in our community, in our own lives, and, and throughout the world, which is, which is very cool. So uh, as Pastor Josh talking about, we we're, we're, talked about last week, we're going to be looking at miracles, miracles in Mark that Jesus uh, performs. Uh, now, Jesus didn't come to pre- perform miracles. He didn't come to be a great teacher. Now, he did, he did that. He, he performed great miracles and, and great teaching. But Jesus came to live a perfect life and die in our place and be raised from the dead so that we don't have to, so that we don't have to die, so that we can forever be restored for God, with God. And it's important to remember that while those miracles are, are, are wonderful and, and powerful, particularly if you're the receiving end of that miracle, that there, that's not the reason that he came. He came to live a perfect life and die in our place so that we could, we could be restored to God. So we'll be looking through these miracles in Mark that Jesus performs. Uh, I don't know if we're going to cover all of them because I'm only responsible for today. And we're, we're in um, Mark chapter 2, the first part of Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter two. Like I said, it's, it's uh, one of those amazing miracles that Jesus does for the first time that's still with us today. 
that was uns- unspeakably amazing at the time, and it's still unspeakably amazing, except we're going to speak about it. So um, keep in mind it's not about the miracles, though. It's not about the miracles. Now, here's your bulletin, which is hopefully you got one. One of my friends tried to sneak in without a bulletin. I said, no, he needs a bulletin because uh, look at the back. The back has uh, five questions. Now, it, it points to why I'm here today. I'm not here. I hope this doesn't surprise you. I am not here to feed you. There's a lot of people think I need to go to church and be fed. No, I'm not here to feed you. I'm here to make you hungry. We're, we're going to cover a lot of stuff in the next 40 minutes or so. We're going to cover a lot of stuff more than there's really we're going to more than there's really time to process. That's why you'll see on your bulletin. You can go ahead and make notes. And what I do every week is I rip it off like this. Usually easier than that. So I've got a, an ongoing reference, and so I actually you know know what Pastor Josh talked about last week. But there's five questions here. There may be other questions that you think of, questions that need additional processing in your life because I'm doing the best to bring God's word to you today. And God's going to continue to build that throughout the week. That's, that's my hope, even throughout the subsequent weeks, as, as he not just brings truth to you from historical truth, because these stories, all these stories we read in the Bible are accurately recorded and faithfully handed down. But these stories are still happening. And, and we'll see that. You'll see that in your own life. People are still blind. People are, when you see these miracles of Jesus, people are still blind. People are still paralyzed. People are still sarcastic. People are still dying. People are still manipulating. So these stories keep happening and, and look for how God is going to make this story even more relevant to you. And so as you're looking, listening for the story today, as you're listening to the stories as we go through, through Mark, um, Expect to see something different. I know when I prepared for this uh, talk today, I saw something new. I mean, I've literally read Mark uh, 200 some times like that, but I still picked up on something new. That's because, again, the stories didn't just, weren't just recorded and accurately handed down, but they're still happening. God is still revealing stuff to us. His word is still new. So read the passage for yourselves, uh, all the passages uh, throughout the week. Again, uh, the passage is, is at marked at the top there. And see what God's learning, uh, ready, to, ready to teach you, what you can learn from God. Now, miracles. I, I talked on uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 back in May. And one of the points I made was it's never about the miracles. It's always about what the miracles point to, who the miracles point to. The miracles, as, as uh, Josh said last week, the miracles point to Jesus' power over sin his uh, ability to forgive and cleanse you. And also, here's the key thing, because if he has the ability to cleanse you and forgive you, if he has the power to do that but doesn't want to, uh, we're not really any better off, are we? And so Jesus not only has the power to cleanse you from sin, he is willing to cleanse you from sin. And that is really cool. But the miracles are never the point. The miracles validate the message. They validate the messenger. They demonstrate even people wonder, well, I wonder what God would feel. What would God want? What? We know what God would want. We don't have to speculate. When Jesus comes, he announces what God wants. He doesn't want people to be blind. He doesn't want people to be hurting. He doesn't want people to be struggling with demons of their own past or maybe spiritual demons. He doesn't want people unable to hear. He doesn't want people blinded by their own arrogance. He wants humanity restored completely. That's what the kingdom of God is about. We're only seeing part of it now, but it's already a reality that's in the heavens since the resurrection of Jesus. 
and it's us to carry the, it's up to us to carry that out so jesus has the power jesus has the willingness and he demonstrates this through miracles but the miracle is beyond what we see before us miracles are always fleeting when we uh, looked at the in in may when we looked at the feeding of the 5000 this massive crowd 5000 men plus women and children fed and yet the very next day they're wondering yeah well, when are you going to feed me again when are you going to feed me again uh, there's there's always a like that was yesterday this is today the the, the mob that accuses jesus at the end of his uh, earthly life they say oh he's up on the cross they're making fun of him saying oh you've saved others see they knew he had saved others they knew it still didn't help him he can't save himself and in probably in the shortest um shortest memory in, in recorded in the scripture is peter who gets out and walks he walks on water he's a fisherman he knows that's impossible he walks on water and it's it's a miracle we can't really replicate now. We can't, can't even imagine it. And yet, 15 seconds later, he's forgotten about that miracle. He's already sinking. So miracles are fleeting, and miracles, even when they are, um, they're, they're fleeting, by the way, not because God isn't complete. God, God is, is complete and, and compassionate in his miracles. They're fleeting because we have short memories. And so the miracles are pointing to something else. A bigger, a bigger story. Now, so before I read the passage, let me give you a little background. What's happened in Mark so far, up to this uh, time in Jesus' ministry? He's been, he's been baptized. He's been tempted. He's uh, successfully made it through those temptations. He's done a lot of miracles. His first miracle was uh, the turning of water into wine, and then he also that's recorded in John. He's also doing other miracles, like the healing of um, healing of a leper, healing of um, a demon possessed man. Many healings that are not even recorded. This is, I think, his first miracle that is recorded in greater detail in, with a specific individual and has a deeper purpose, has, has a purpose that's showing beyond just validating Jesus, getting attention, and, and restoring the world. But, but this has something enduring. And Jesus is going to perform a miracle here that you might have missed here in Mark chapter 2. You might have missed a miracle. And, and what Jesus has just got done doing, he, he, did, he did heal um, Peter's mother-in-law, so that's sort of cool. That's um, a, a specific person he healed. He casts out demons in Mark chapter 1. He touches a leper and heals the leper. Now, here's the amazing thing. Uh, Pastor Josh has pointed this out before. In the Jewish first century uh, thinking, it's like it's very important not to be unclean. It's not... It's important not to even be near somebody who's unclean. Your uncleanness might make me, will make me unclean. So if you have a problem, if you have a physical problem, if you have a moral problem, if, um, I, I, can't, I, I can't be near you. I will be unclean and unable to, to enter the Holy of Holies. Well, enter, enter the temple. Um, so your uncleanness can actually make me unclean. Now, in the 21st century, we sort of get that, right? Because your germs can come to me and get me sick, right? But... So they had it partially right, but they had it spiritually wrong in the sense that they're thinking, number one, if you have a, if you have a problem, it's a spiritual problem. So if you have leprosy or something, you have a spiritual problem. I can't touch you because that will become my spiritual problem then. So your uncleanness will make me unclean. Jesus reverses that. His cleanness is so overpowering, so comprehensive, that his cleanness is what becomes contagious. 
So Jesus switches that. So the, the cleanness is contagious, not the uncleanness. But when he does that, we take it for granted. You read the story time after time. It's preached about, yeah, Jesus touched the leper, leper and he healed him. It's, it's no big deal to us. But to them, it's a very big deal. You don't touch lepers. You don't even want them in the same room as you. So Jesus is already starting to think and act way outside the box. Today we'll look at how uh, he heals a man who's paralyzed and, and the next miracle that he does, I think, is in Mark chapter 3, where he, he heals on the Sabbath. He heals a man who's got a, a problem with his arms. Um, Jesus doesn't do this like, let's go over here and no one will notice. No, Jesus says, no, right, bring him right here. And, and one of the times that Jesus is recorded as being angry, they, they're thinking, oh, you could come back and get heal on the Sabbath. Don't heal. No, Jesus says, no, today is the day to be heal this man. Right here, right where everyone can see. And that's what we're going to see in this in this. Um, Miracle today, where Jesus does it so everyone can see. He's always doing it to, uh, to demonstrate a deeper truth. There's literally thousands of miracles, could be more, we don't know, that Jesus performed that are only recorded generically. I mean, I mean generally, and we don't know specifics. This one we know specific. This one we're talking about 2,000 years later, maybe for another 2,000 years if he, if he stays. Uh, and it's a stunning healing. It's something nobody expected. It's... Um, it, makes Jesus risk in ways that we probably forget about. So Jesus is really willing to risk. Now, this miracle happens in a community. There's a community of, of Jesus that we also tend to forget about in our hyper-individualized culture. Even our language uh, uh, holds us back. So like when, when in English, for instance, the word you is very ambiguous. It could be you, Jeff. It could be you all kind of thing. Matter of fact, the Southerners, if you're from the South, you know, they, they keep trying to get us to be less ambiguous, to say you and then y'all. But we, we won't do that. That's considered, you know, non-standard English. But our, so when we read the scripture, Jesus says something like, I will make you fishers of man, like he just said in Mark chapter one. Jesus isn't saying you, he's saying you. He's using the, the plural sense of you. We miss that. And in our, our because our, our mind control, uh, frames how we speak, and how we speak frames our mind. We, we tend to think that's focused. Oh, he'll make you a fisher of men. Well, that's true, but he'll make you fishers of men. He, what, what, um, when, when Jesus says, oh, by the way, at the, at the end of his, just at the end of his ministry, he says, Satan's um, asked to sift you like wheat. The you is plural. It's not individual. It's, it's plural. Um, when he says, what you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and what you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven. He's not talking about you. He's talking about you. But we miss that. And this miracle happens in a community. This miracle is initiated by a community. A community, uh, this, this paralytic small group, basically, gets him, gets him in front of Jesus. It's performed in front of a community. This is a very diverse community, by the way. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. And, and the community that sees it will expand the miracle to a broader community. Because with Jesus, it's always not about, you know, this small group or this small group or even everybody in this room. It's like, I want to get this message to everybody. There's no special groups. All are special. So let's read the story. Uh, follow along with me if you want. Um, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When he, Jesus, had come back to Capernaum, Several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them, and they 
came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let, him down, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Have you read that verse before? I'll bet you missed what Jesus said. Because I did. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority Here it is. On earth, not just in heaven, on earth. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. There's one more verse. It's usually not included in this story, but it's the next verse. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. So this miracle leads to a greater teaching, not just of people that can be stuffed into a room, but people that are fanning out across the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So there it is, the story. Jesus is is at home in, in Capernaum. He apparently has moved at some point early in his ministry, at the beginning of his ministry, moved from his hometown of Nazareth to Capernaum. Capernaum's at the north end of, uh, of Galilee. There's a fishing business there. There's more trade and commerce, more people, um, more um, interaction of ideas and thoughts probably at Capernaum. And so he's there, he's at home. Um, I don't know exactly what that means, but it sort of sounds like he's in a place where he's staying from time, from, you know, from a few nights anyway. Been, uh, we went to Capernaum last, uh, last April when we were supporting, there to support uh, Jessica and, and Sean and their ministry. It's, um, and we've seen places that they dug out where probably were houses that Peter and, and his cohorts actually lived in. So uh, Jesus is, is there at home. People have already heard about him because in Mark chapter 1, he's recorded lots of miracles, lots of great teaching, lots of phenomenal teaching, teaching with authority like they've never seen before. They come to hear Jesus. Uh, then there's this group that wants to get their friend connected with Jesus, so they bring him. They can't get him in, so they bring him. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's interesting. Didn't ask for that. And then, then the critics Wow, what's he doing that for? The murder, the mummering, the, the cynics. The, and Jesus says, just so you can know, just so this can be demonstrated, I have this authority, rise and walk. The man rises and walks. Why he does that, I have no idea because he's tried before. It hasn't worked. And it's when people see him walk that that's when they praise God. That's when the word goes out. Now, um, this gathering, this gathering is a diverse crowd, very large. Uh, it 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 says that there was the house, and these houses typically are like two or three rooms connected, so they probably were all filled with people. People at the door, they couldn't, they couldn't even get in the door. Now, the capacity of this room is 295 persons. The fire marshal has, um, has certified that. There's probably about 80 of us here, so it's hard to imagine another 210 people. But I mean, I'll tell you, if the fire marshal has 
certified 295 people can be in here safely, that means we could get five or 600 people in here unsafely. And, and so it, it's hard to imagine a room so stuffed you can't get one more person in. But that's how, that's how stuffed they are. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that there's something riveting about the message of Jesus. And, and I think we get some messages even more about how riveting Jesus is in, in a little bit. But these groups, uh, there, there's a reason this, is, this house is so full. And, and Luke tells us the reason. There are representatives from every village in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem gathered to hear Jesus. Every village. That's, I don't know how many, I, I can't even figure out a way to count, but it's got to be a, a couple hundred villages because villages are, you know, wherever like five people live in, the, in that time. So, so the importance, we, we might miss that. It's like, so everybody sees this. By the way, if Jesus fails, they see that too. That's the risk. Everybody sees this. This message, see, Jesus doesn't need the internet. He doesn't need Facebook. He doesn't need Instagram or Twitter because this message, once it's done, it's going to go viral. It's going to go viral throughout the whole country. And that's why it says in verse 13 that that's why crowds are coming out to him. So the teaching. Teaching must have been very riveting. I say very riveting because, number one, um, first century people, let's just imagine 500 people stuffed into here, you know, listening to Pastor Josh or Jesus, whatever. Um, First century people, they weren't that big on bathing. And so there's a lot of different fragrances in that room. No one's distracted by that. No one's distracted, by the way, because there's, there's um, everybody from throughout Judea and, and Galilee and Jerusalem. There's a lot of different groups, a lot of groups that don't like each other. There's a lot of political, religious, and, and geographical diversity in the room. People that don't associate with each other, they're now literally shoulder to shoulder, maybe, maybe worse. And... Um, but they're focusing on Jesus. They're riveted on Jesus. And he's riveted on them. And it's like, okay, so if, because I, you know, I try to be like attentive to the audience. I, I think most people are, are, are staying awake at this point. But, you know, if someone starts like sawing through the roof, and, and, and this would actually be relatively easy to saw through. The, the roof that they're digging through probably is 18 to 24 inches thick of mud and straw, whatever they made roofs of. It takes a while, and it's noisy, and in the meantime, uh, you know, like pebbles are coming down. There's noise. There's pebbles coming down. <laughs> no one apparently breaks the focus on Jesus. Jesus doesn't break the focus on his, his audience. The other thing I like about this is pretty much everybody except Jesus is anonymous. Now, when, when someone is anonymous in Scripture, I think it tells you one of two things. Either the person doesn't matter or the person could be anybody. And I think because Jesus does great things here, I think we have to assume that these people, all of them, even as critics, matter. So, now, that's a little scary, because that means it could be you. That means it could be you who is paralyzed. That means it could be you who is criticizing the work that Jesus is doing. It could be you who's bringing your friend to Jesus. It could be you that lets your arrogance blind you to the greater work of God. It could be you spreading the word of Jesus to everyone you know and everyone you see. 
So the characters, we've got the, there, there's five basic character or character groups. We've got the friends, the paralytic, the critics, the, who are scribes in this case, Jesus, obviously, and then the crowd. So the, the friends are the, are the catalysts of this miracle. The friends are really the ones that are going to make it happen. Now, I love these friends like this, and uh, the first question on your bulletin is, where are your friends taking you? Or where are you, excuse me, where are you taking your friends? That's the other one is the other question. Where are you taking your friends? Because this, the, these four guys are going to take their friend to Jesus. They're going to do whatever it takes. They don't even know what they're doing, frankly. They don't, they're not taking him to Jesus to have his sins forgiven. They're taking him to Jesus to, to be healed of this paralysis. And they don't, they're not like, it's like, well, we got him close. We couldn't get any closer. And when they, and when they, and by, by the way, this, this, um, this stretcher, they're, so they're, he's dropping down horizontally, not, not vertically. So, so it's like two feet wide and maybe four, maybe six feet long. They're digging this hole to put him down, not at the side, not in the side room, right in the midst. Where are you taking your friends? How determined are you to get your friends into the healing power of Jesus? They're not settling. They are not settling. They're not looking for excuses. Well, I did what I could, blah, 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 blah. No, I love excuses. It's like um, there's, they, they say this in therapy. It's like trying is dying. Well, I tried. Yeah, don't try. Just do it. And then there's the paralytic. Now, we don't know the cause of his paralysis. Again, I think there's a reason we don't know the cause. And that because it could be any reason. It could be from birth. It could be from a childhood accident, a working accident. He could have done something stupid, maybe even sinful that got him in this case. We don't know. So it could be any of the above. We could assume any apply. Now, the first century folks didn't exactly have the Americans for Disability Act. They did not view disability well. Disability meant someone screwed up, someone sinned. You sinned, your parents sinned, somebody sinned. And so it doesn't just become a physical thing, it be, and not even just an emotional thing, but it's a spiritual thing. There's something wrong with you because you can't walk. God has cursed you for some reason. Maybe it wasn't, maybe they would say, well, that, that rock fell and broke your legs and they couldn't be repaired. It, it wasn't because you weren't, you know, shouldn't be walking there with a rock. It's just God, God saw you doing something else you shouldn't do, so he's finally paying you back. This is the mentality of the, of the first century. People, um, not, not much compassion, except from Jesus. But the, I love, the, I love the, the fact that he's paralyzed because, um, and you may know someone that's paralyzed, either or, or probably uh, a, lot of us, a lot of us do. Or, or, but more of us, deal with a paralysis that has nothing to do with our legs or our back. It has everything to do with our will. Everything to do with the too many choices that are in front of us. Too many sins that are behind us. Too often we're paralyzed. Paralyzed. By our own actions or actions that have been done to us. Where are you paralyzed? Now, it's interesting that this, this uh, there's some challenges for this paralytic. First of all, Maybe he had given, I mean, I'm just, I'm just assuming, I know I don't, I, I probably, I, I can't have any basis for this, but let's just assume it happened for a while. Let's just assume that he had tried many times to walk and couldn't. Let's just assume that he had some hope and that hope was dashed again and again and again. And then now his friends insist, 
on this intervention. His friends insist on getting him in front of Jesus. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And Jesus doesn't ask this guy. He does ask other people, what do you want? But if he asked this guy, he'd probably say, uh, I'm paralyzed, Jesus. Uh, I'd like a new pair of shoes. I mean, no, I, I'm, I'm here so I can walk. I've heard you can heal. I've heard you can cast out demons. I heard, I've heard that you can cure the blind. I want to walk. Now, Jesus forgives his sins. That's not what the guy signed up for. That's not what his friends drilled through two feet of, mud, of, of dried mud for. They want him to walk again. And Jesus knows what we know but like to forget, and that is that every healing in this life is temporary. If you're walking now, and, and the, other thing, uh, m- the other thing that's funny about miracles is uh, we're surrounded by miracles. I mean, the fact that, that most of us can walk is a miracle. And, and I, it's a miracle that I take for granted until, you know, I can't, right? Either I'm sick or something, or, or I fall down on the driveway. It, it, whatever it is, it's like miracles are easy to take for granted. Uh, the miracle of, of a baby being born. I mean, we don't think that is miraculous. I mean, I don't know how many babies have been born since I started in the world since I started this talk. Probably you know, 10,000. And we don't think that's a miracle until you hold your child for the first time or the child of a friend, or the child of a relative. When you hold that baby, you, um, okay, you know the mechanics of how babies get here, but it's like you still know it's a miracle. You still know it's a miracle. And the miracle that, that's performed here, well, okay, it's not really the miracle. But when Jesus heals this man, at some point in his life, He's not going to be walking anymore. This miracle that, that is complete and instantaneous and righteous, this man at some point in his physical life is going to stop walking. It may not be till his deathbed, but at some point he's going to stop walking. I don't know why he walks. If, you, if there is nothing wrong with your body and you lay on a bed for a month, you are not just going to get up and walk. You have to relearn how to walk. Your, your, your bones are out of sync. Your muscles have atrophied. You're not just going to be able to get up and walk again. And this, and this guy does. I mean, he doesn't. we don't know that he has any relationship with Jesus, but I think the takeaway here is when Jesus gives you a command, it is not a request. When Jesus tells you to get up and move, that's what he means. And the guy, apparently not knowing Jesus, that's what he does. He, he got up because that's what Jesus told him to do. A lot of risk there. I, I can't imagine this man didn't go through the first century version of physical therapy. His friends thinking, just all in your mind, you can walk again, you can do it, I can help you. And oh, failure after failure. The risk is great for the man. The risk is great for Jesus too because his whole ministry depends on it. If, he, if, if this man gets up and walks, uh, by the way, it's interesting because I'm sure Jesus knew that the forgiveness was complete. He knew the healing was complete. But guess what? If the guy, if the healing, if Jesus has done the healing complete and he has, and the guy doesn't get up, no one's going to know. They're just going to assume Jesus is a charlatan. So Jesus puts the future of his entire ministry into this man he's never met before. That's how much Jesus risks to get us moving. That's how much our taking the next step matters. Where do you need to take the next step forward? And then there's a community of critics. 
Everyone has their critics. No one likes to be criticized, unless it's by your significant other. Uh, that's a joke. So, um, yeah, no one likes to be criticized. And if they tell you, um, if they tell you, I, I hope this doesn't offend you. Okay, you know it's going to offend you, right? If, if they say, um, uh, I have some constructive criticism to tell you, you know it's not going to be constructive. It's not going to feel constructive. But, and so, so if, you've, if, you've, if you're discouraged by your critics sometimes, find peace in the fact that Jesus was criticized relentlessly, by the way, relentlessly by his family, by his disciples, by John the Baptist, by, his, by, by these scribes, Pharisees. Jesus is relentlessly criticized. But he always, and this, at least in this case, he turns that criticism into a transformation, right? He, and Jesus, um, because these guys, they're focused. God hasn't healed anybody that we know of for like 400 years. There's been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus, had, they're waiting for something to happen, it, it, uh, but, but when it happens, they do nothing but complain. And because they're inside this box of thinking in their religious way, they're not, they're not pagans. They're Bible believers. They know the Bible. They, these are scribes. They probably have the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, most of the Psalms uh, and, and prophets, maybe even the whole uh, Hebrew scriptures, the whole what we call Old Testament. They may have it all memorized. They are, they're, good, they're good Bible boys. But they're missing the bigger truth that God wants to move. Where are you being blinded by the bigger, bigger picture of where God is moving? Jesus. Now, why does even Jesus do this? Um, Jesus sees this. He, he, you know, he can hear. He's, he, you don't have to be the son of God. You don't have to be omniscient to know that there's something happening in that roof up there. They lower him down. And Jesus, who I don't think is surprised, by the way, by any of this, Jesus forgives the guy's sins. Why does he do that? Uh, probably everyone's stunned. Uh, well, certainly the scribes are stunned because they know that prophets don't forgive sins. Only God forgives sins. And this Jesus makes this huge point. <clears throat> You'll hear people say, uh, cynics say, or, or um, skeptics say, Jesus didn't really think he was God. We, we added that in later. No, Jesus knew he was God. He, he wasn't like putting it on the face, face of the front page of the New York Times because he knew once this becomes critical knowledge to the, to the uh, powers that be in the temple, they're going to have to kill him. And that needs to happen not at the, right, uh, not at the wrong time. So, but Jesus, here at the get-go in Mark, he makes it clear. His critics say, well, who, they're saying among themselves, who, do you think, who does he think he is forgiving, God, forgiving sins? Only God forgives sins. He may be a great teacher. You know, great teachers don't forgive sins. Great rabbis don't forgive sins. Great prophets don't forgive sins. Only God Almighty forgives sins. And Jesus says, um, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Now, this is, this is one of the takeaways for me this time when I was studying this. For the longest time, I thought Jesus was criticizing them. And I don't think he's criticizing them. Well, he is criticizing them, but, but in, a, in, a, in an involvement way. I mean, they're, having, they're, they're listening to him teach, but, it, but it's a, a case where people can, can respond. And, and Jesus is trying to build a greater dialogue. I think what he's saying is, this is a place to talk about important things. Don't go talking over there in your own clique. Bring, if you have a question, bring it out. Let's all talk about it. Why, why reason over there in your, in your little corner? If you have an, if you have an issue, bring it here. We'll, we'll address it. Let everyone. Like if you're a teacher, it's like, um, 
if you know if you have a question, probably someone else has a question. So let's bring it here. And so Jesus, Jesus, uh, they won't bring it, but Jesus will bring it. So why does he do this? Why does he? First of all, I don't want you to misread Jesus. Whenever it looks like, because this also happens when when they ask him, what, "Where is his authority?" and he says, um, "Who do?" You, what do you think about John the Baptist? Jesus isn't a game player. He's not trying to manipulate their conversation. He's, he, he's, he wants to get to the point. He wants to heal this man. He wants to forgive this man. He wants um, to make this greater point that he is God in the flesh and he has the power to forgive sins. But he's not, he's not manipulative in this conversation, in this encounter. Jesus heals, forgives that man's sin first for one reason and one reason only, and that's because it's what's important. Forgiving the sins, that's what's important. Not what the guy came for, not what the guy or his friends would think is important. That's the walking part. But Jesus knows what's important, and that's what he focuses on first things first. He focuses on the forgiveness because the forgiveness is the true miracle here. See, we look at that, we think, wow, this is a miracle. Jesus made a, a, um, a paralyzed man walk. That's not the miracle. The miracle is that Jesus forgives sins on earth and forever. That's something we can't replicate. See, in the, in the 21st century, we might be able to replicate this miracle. We don't know because we don't know what the nature of this guy's uh, paralysis was, but, but physical therapy, surgery, um, maybe some experimental drugs, maybe some neuropath- neuro uh, work could bring him back. Probably not, but, but maybe. And, and if we don't have the technology now, maybe we'll have the technology in 10 or 20 years. But we will never have the technology to forgive sins. That only comes from God. That only comes from the perfect life, the agonizing death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. That's something we cannot, rec- that, that's something we cannot replicate. Where do you need to focus on what's important? Jesus focuses on what's important, not on what that guy wants, not on what his friends want. He focuses on what's important. Where do you need to focus on what's important? Then there's the crowd. The crowd. Again, Jesus does the important thing, the miraculous thing, the unspeakably great thing of forgiving the man's sins. No one says, by the way, praise God. And, and when, when you are restored to God, People in your family that aren't server, uh, followers of Jesus are very unlikely to say, praise God, you're going to be in heaven forever. I'll miss you, though. Um, they're probably not going to do that. They're going pra- to praise God when they see somebody who was toxic before starting to learn new ways. They're gonna, when, when you start emulating Jesus, the words of Jesus, the direct words of Jesus, but the compassionate words of Jesus, when you start living like that, that's when people will say, that guy, he, you should have seen what he, but now he's, that's what they're going to say. Because this group, they don't say anything when, when he's forgiven. They say something when they see him walk because they know that's an unspeakable miracle. That's where the miracle is. We don't know about the other miracles Jesus, a lot of, most of the, the vast majority of the miracles Jesus did are just mentioned, like I said, generally. The, this one and, and many others, but, but relatively, so there's like thousands that he performed, a few dozen that are recorded. This one we're still talking about because it matters. People don't know you by your heart. So that man's heart was cleansed at that point. Jesus healed him. I mean, forgave him. 
of all past and present and future sins. But people don't know your heart, not till they see it in manifested in your words and your actions. And the forgiveness goes on. The forgiveness is eternal. So what do you do with forgiveness? It's interesting how Jesus uses metaphors, not strictly metaphorically. He uses them in a real-world metaphor. So when he tells this guy to walk, incidentally, the, the risk is not just like stepping up but, but, so, and, and, and maybe falling flat on your face in front of this crowd of strangers or maybe some friends. But the risk, is, even if it's successful, this guy, whatever he's, whatever he's been used to, it isn't working. It's been probably begging, relying on family for support. But now that this man can walk, he's got to get back in the real world. He's got to get back to whatever he did before or, or trying to do something new. But now he's got to work. Now he's got to be a useful part of society. And so there's some risk there in the humiliation and even when that isn't realized, now he's got to step up. But the scripture, used, even in the New Testament, like 93 times at least, it talks about walking. Often, not in just a, um, a physical sense, but in the sense of a spiritual and emotional walking. Walking in the light, walking in the love, walking the life of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So what you do with forgiveness, this eternal and miraculous gift that's been given, that's been given to you or is waiting to give to you, first of all, seek it from God. Seek God's forgiveness. Put first things first. This forgiveness of God redefines who you are and moves you from being defined by whatever sin or mistake or weakness or failure in the past or present holds you back. It frees you from that. Whatever you might be paralyzed from, it frees you to move forward. If you haven't done that yet, accept the forgiveness of Jesus. It's, not, it's a one-time thing, but then as you start walking in that and, and your life starts showing the words and actions like Jesus, you walk in that, you grow in that for the rest of your life. And forgive yourself. That's the hardest part sometimes. Forgive yourself for... Again, sometimes they're sins, sometimes they're stupid things, sometimes they're weaknesses. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. Forgive others of their sins against you. That's sort of obvious. But if someone you know is sinning in a way that doesn't like to affect you directly, it obviously affects God, it affects other people. What if you had the power? What if you had the power to move them from their, from their sin? Jesus speaks extensively of forgiveness. Peter asks, how often do I have to forgive my brother? Jesus says, depends on where you read, seven times seven or seven times 70. 49 or 490 doesn't really matter. I'm not really interested in being having to forgive someone that many times. But that's the standard Jesus sets because that's the standard that he did for us. He talks about you're going to be forgiven like you forgive. Ouch. Forgiveness, it's all about forgiveness. When Jesus, and, and it's so much about forgiveness, 
Listen to this, another scripture that might have missed, you might have missed. When Jesus comes back from the dead, he's appeared to a few women. Some angels have been there to testify to this. Later that day, he appears to the apostles, to the eleven. What does he tell them? What is the first thing he tells them? So when it was evening on that day, this is the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, this is out of John 20, verse 19. The doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. See, the disciples were paralyzed. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Because when, you know, the Son of God comes back from the dead and the guy that you denied and denied and watched him be tortured, when he comes back from the dead, it's like you have one of those uh uh-oh moments, right? Jesus says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. So peace, peace, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, we think of like some of Jesus' important words to them is about uh, go and make disciples. But he says that later, a few days later. This he says to them right away. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Peace, peace, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. What, what? I have the power to, I don't know how to process this, by the way. I don't know what Jesus means exactly. I wish I did. Peace, peace, receive the Holy Spirit, forgive. It's like you don't have the power to forgive without the power of the Holy Spirit. That again, it was supernaturally done by the grace of God in Mark chapter 2. It's still supernaturally done. Forgiveness happens to you as an individual by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit gives you the power to forgive. And so I would remind you that revenge does not heal the world. Bitterness does not heal the world. Only forgiveness does. Criticism doesn't heal the world. Cynicism doesn't heal the world. Only forgiveness does. And I encourage you to forgive. Ask God for God's forgiveness if you haven't done that yet. By the way, once you're a Christian, you you are forgiven forever. If you do something wrong after that, you still need to ask God's forgiveness just so you can make it right. But the sin has actually already been covered by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Ask for God's forgiveness and then forgive. Forgive yourself, forgive others. Forgive for two reasons. Two reasons. Because you've been forgiven and because you're sons and daughters of a forgiving God. Only forgiveness, only forgiveness can free you from the pain of the present and the shame of your past to the hope of your future. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you focus on what's important. I thank you that regardless of whatever physical or mental or emotional issues we face or will face or have faced, whatever wrongs we've done or have been done to us, I thank you that you were here to forgive, that you came to forgive, you came to restore us completely and eternally. In your name we pray, amen.